0: the Deep Soul Podcast. If you're new here, I like to cover all types of topics, usually related to spirituality, astrology. We've covered everything from the I Ching to the magic of being on the dance floor at a rave. Basically, any topics that interest me featuring really cool people that I know or some of my best friends. So definitely subscribe and Stay tuned for more episodes if you're interested and if you enjoy this one. I'm really stoked that you're here. Now, in this episode, we are talking with Sarah Landry, and some of you might actually know her from her YouTube videos or being on other podcasts but Sarah is quite an internet celebrity of sorts in the spiritual world. She has been all over the place when it comes to sharing about Hinduism, tarot cards, how to free yourself from the conspiracy against enlightenment. She um, is someone that I discovered in 2011, I believe, when I was really getting into the awakening phase and I just loved her videos. Since then, I have met up with her or bumped into her in India. We visited in Canada. Over the years, she's just been someone that I always keep in my circle, and I always appreciate what she has to say. Also, the way she says it. She's such a beautiful speaker, so you'll enjoy that in this episode as well. She's come such a long way over the years in her own spiritual process and development, and now she runs two Etsy stores making jewelry and generally like promotes the vegan lifestyle, speaks about her experiences in India a lot. So she's a really cool person with so much life experience to share. And in this episode, we mostly talk about jewelry and sacred adornments. I got this idea that I wanted to talk about sacred adornments and jewelry a couple years ago, actually. I started thinking about it and how special jewelry is and the way that we decorate ourselves, whether it's clothing, tattoos, makeup, anything. It says so much about us or even people who choose to do none of those things. It says something about you, how you cut your hair, people who change their style all the time. It's like such an expression of who we are and it contributes so much to the richness of our lives and I think it gets overlooked a lot. I instantly thought I wanted to talk to Sarah about this because she makes jewelry and she herself, I know, has had various piercings and she has a really cool tattoo. And generally, being an artist and a jewelry maker, I thought she was the perfect person. So, if you want to hear more about jewelry and spirituality and how to tune into the universe, we go pretty deep in this episode. So, just keep listening and make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want to hear more stuff like this welcome Sarah Landry my dear mostly online friends since we (laughs) seen each other in India and Canada a few times. But thank you so much for joining me on this podcast slash video episode. And if you're hearing the audio, you can check out the video on my YouTube and vice versa, check out the audio on my podcast. This episode is gonna be about sacred adornments, talismans, even maybe a little bit about makeup and definitely about jewelry and I couldn't think of a better person to have on because Sarah has had more experience with jewelry and things like this and beautiful makeup than most people I know. She's lived in India, so she's got the background on traditional jewelry there and even like deity decoration. I'm sure you know more about that than I do beautiful like Indian outfits, but then you've also got the modern perspective of being a Western young lady and knowing what's popular here and also having your own jewelry store where you create your own designs and Create your own trends, basically, and you have a pretty good following on there. And I know people like me love to buy jewelry from you. And I'm wearing some of my favorite earrings from your shop. I always love looking at your shop because I always find something and I'm like, that's the next thing I want for a gift when someone asks me. So yeah, I'm so excited to have you here and to talk about this really cool topic. And, you know, decorating our bodies has been something that humans have done for so long. And I was reading online that historians or anthropologists actually believe that humans were adorning their bodies with jewelry and other like functional
1: shells and hairpin type things before they even wore clothing. Starting from the very beginning then. Um, Sorry for the distraction, my cat has just now decided to climb across all the jewelry I have (laughs) laid out to show you. Yeah. (laughs) Love that you mention um, the archaeological and anthropological aspect of jewelry, because one of the things I find so fascinating about this art form is that scientists are saying that it was the very first object that human beings ever crafted. And what they're finding in like prehistoric burial sites, Neolithic sites, and even in all parts of the world. Whenever people were given a a really ceremonial burial in ancient times, they were always adorned with some form of jewelry. And of course, the oldest form is beads. And I think the, the general consensus in that scientific community is that There are even older specimens than what they've so far discovered. What they've found now is pretty rocks that have holes drilled in them, which sounds familiar to all of us these Mm -hmm. days. Um, And they've also found like clay pieces made into jewelry, but they're guessing that originally the very first jewelry people used was made out of found objects of an organic matter. So things like feathers and seeds that they would string on twine or, you know, even on long grasses and reeds. And that just because of decomposition, it hasn't survived to, to be discovered nowadays in an excavation. But this innate feeling of connection that we have to the world around us just lends itself so perfectly to picking up pieces of that world around us and putting them on us. And what's cool to me is that it's not something unique to humans either. Birds like magpies will find little shiny things and collect them in their nests. And, you know, all kinds of um, animals are just drawn to gathering stuff. And so I, I think it's not necessarily a modern thing, which a lot of critics about jewelry will say it's a vanity yeah. um, or, or that it's a frivolity, like it's not a necessity, it's something frivolous. Mm-hmm. And yet if you think about human psychology, there must be an innate need to express ourselves through yeah. our physical appearance or else it wouldn't have been done from the dawning of humanity.
0: Yeah, and I always feel like it's so, like this goes so in line with what you're saying that to me, Decorating yourself and taking the time to do that, which I definitely don't always do. It's, it's really like, it shows respect to life, like to this thing that we don't quite understand, but we know we're a part of it. And to me that that's such a spiritual significance that we we decorate ourselves and we want to look our best, or we want to put on a certain persona for that day, or even we're wearing something that was passed down to us and we, you know, we're so proud of it, or we choose things that really match our personality that our friend might not choose. It just yeah. says a lot about us. And to me, it shows respect to this whole thing that's happening around us in this universe that we take the time to like connect with ourselves in that way. I don't know, it's such a
1: it's such a like a prayer almost to me. <laughs> yeah. It's so true though. It what you mentioned about picking a piece that maybe your friend wouldn't pick, it's so true. And people can get to know so much about you just based on the jewelry that you're wearing. Yeah people who prefer like the simple little minimalistic understated pieces, I find those are the individuals who don't want to wear something to get noticed or to get attention. They want to wear something because it has significance to them or a meaning to them. What's really interesting, there are actually ancient Vedic scriptures in Hinduism about jewelry. There was actually a verse, and I don't remember which... Which scripture it was in. I think it's in one of the Vedas. I'd I'd have to consult my references though. (laughs) But it actually describes how to wear jewelry as talismans Mm. for different purposes. Wow. And for example, recommended to kings and queens and to people who are setting an example for others, like what we would call influencers in these Instagram era days. (laughs) Uh, The influencers in that time were recommended to wear bigger pieces of jewelry and to wear them in a prominent place on the body. Whereas people who are devout and who are wearing jewelry for the sake of connecting with a deity were recommended to wear the jewelry inside their cloth so that it's not visible to onlookers. And what I find really fascinating about this is that there was no concept of don't wear any. It was like, okay, if you're this kind of person, wear it this way. If you're that kind of person, wear it that way. If this is your goal, here's where to place it. And it's almost like in that culture, everyone had some form of adornment. And jewelry wasn't just for show. It served so many different functions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way we have wedding rings or engagement rings, they had Mangal Sutras, like a certain necklace that would be worn by a married woman. Mm. Um, toe rings were only worn by married women. And so it's it's kind of cool that jewelry also communicates something. When somebody sees a piece on another person, they'll know something even without a word being spoken. So I think that symbology is really fascinating. Yeah,
0: that is so true. And it also was interesting for me to learn years ago, you know, I just dipped my toe into this about how, um, like piercings, for instance, can hit different acupuncture points, or marma points, and sort of activate those energies. And I know that when I got my nose pierced for the first time on the left side, it sent like a shockwave through my whole body like I was I felt like I was getting electrocuted for like five minutes. And I think that's because they must have gotten it right into that perfect placement. And um, I know that like a piercing on the left side of the nose is supposed to actually give health benefits for like the female reproductive system and pregnancy. And in a way, it's almost like yoga where different poses are for different things. And I know very little about Vedic astrology, but I know they recommend different rings and different gemstones for, for like remedying things in the chart that are not that good. You can kind of correct them, which is another topic, but it's something I love about Vedic astrology that they use jewelry to do that, which is really cool along with other things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the, the gemstones will correlate to different planets and the metals will have different attributes. So whether it's gold or silver.
0: They also use something, I forget what it's called. It's like a, a five metal blend, I
1: believe. Yeah, and I it's a bunch of something.
0: Yeah, yeah, so that's a really cool um, thing, yeah. From the gemstones, to the metal, to the placement, to the astrologer who tells you what to yeah. do. Yeah, it's very complex, but really cool when you're in India. Everybody's, at least mostly in North India, I saw a lot of this, like everybody's got tons of rings on and yeah, yeah you've got more experience seeing different trends in different areas, but especially like the nose rings are so cool in India and yeah. Um, I love the idea of jewelry as kind of like permanent makeup too. Like you wake up in the morning if you got the facial piercings or you put some earrings on and it's just kind of like, this is my look. (laughs) You kind of, you decorate yourself and it's more of like a permanent way. That's something I love about piercings is even when you have no makeup, you rolled over in bed and you tie your hair back, you put on clothes and you head out, it's like,
1: you have this like signature thing going on. Right. There's always something Mm -hmm. that you've added to yourself by choice. Whereas the rest of us, unless people dye their hair or put on makeup, the rest of you is kind of like, that's what you're born with. Yeah. And The jewelry that you add, the clothing that you select, makeup that you add, piercings that you've had done, that's all your personal self-expression. Yeah. And yeah, I, I remember, um, the first time I went to India one of the things that really struck me was people doing manual labor on the sides of the roads like collecting rocks into pans and pouring concrete and climbing up scaffolding to you know put bricks onto a new building and all of them wearing the most gorgeous gold trimmed fanciful clothes I had ever seen like bright colors busy patterns tons and tons of gold brocade on the lining and that's just something that we're so deprived of in the west I think and I, I would say deprived is the right word for yes it. um When I was in elementary school, I think like a lot of girls, I really loved the Disney movies and fairy tale princess stories. And I would just marvel at the dresses that they wore and their tiaras and their jewelry. And going to school in the morning, you would get made fun of if you weren't wearing jeans and the plain white t-shirt with running shoes. Like there was a certain uniform, an unspoken uniform that... If you deviated from that, it wasn't socially acceptable. And I would ask my mom sometimes, like, why can't we wear skirts anymore? Why can't we wear dresses anymore? Why can't we, you know, why, why do only princesses get to wear tiaras? And I totally, totally, 100% love that women can wear anything that they want. I, I would hate to revert back to uh, the kind of even more chauvinistic society than what we're in now, where we have to wear dresses. That would suck. Like I would hate it. I'm wearing pajama pants right now because <laughs> they're only visible from the from the neck up. There's just something so graceful and beautiful and expressive about the kinds of clothes that that are worn to to galas and to award ceremonies and by royalty. And what I love about the Indian culture is that everyone dresses up every day, you know, in the places I've seen. And I know that's changing a lot now. Jeans are getting to be more common and Western influence is definitely taking place. But And I know a lot of people disagree with me about this and call it cultural appropriation when non-Indian people start dressing in Indian clothing. Mm -hmm. But I really think that the way Western influence is happening in India, it would be more beneficial for Indian influence to happen in the West, at least when it comes to how we express ourselves through fashion. Yeah. I do think like yoga is
0: bringing as yoga becomes more and more popular in the West, people are connecting more and getting more fascinated with Indian culture, which I love.
1: Yeah. Another thing that I find really interesting, like in my online jewelry shop, more than 50% of my customers buying jewelry for themselves are men. And it's so counterintuitive. Like when I first opened my shop, I think I had, maybe one men's bracelet for every 10 women's bracelets that I uploaded, and no men's necklaces. And quickly, I realized it's the men's stuff that's selling out and the women's stuff that kind of sits there for months, and eventually a woman buys it. But I feel like men in our culture are also feeling kind of even if they want to dress up with something flamboyant, they can't because of peer pressure or the ridicule that they'll face. Um, what's really cool about India is that sexual orientation and sexual identity is completely unrelated to the way somebody dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of the most flamboyantly dressed men you'll ever see are Bollywood actors. And they've got a ring on each finger, earrings, like both ears pierced, earring in each ear. ear. Um, Some kind of brooch holding together their kurta. um, Sometimes a big, huge turban pin in their turban. And I think it looks awesome. Like I, I like that much better than what I see up here in in Canada. Like yeah. the so-called Canadian tuxedo of jeans <laughs> and a jean jacket. Like I would much rather see somebody who who puts that effort into their appearance and who loves beautiful objects. Yeah. And, like when you look at books about jewelry, whatever histo- historical book about jewelry you're referring to it always includes something about the Maharajas like the the kings of India Mm -hmm. pre-British invasion Um, because that this multiple strands of gemstone beads like they I mean they dressed more beautifully than the queens like the king (laughs) in many cases the kings wore more jewelry than their wives did and Again, I'm not saying we should revert back to a patriarchal kind of a male dominated fashion industry. Um, But it would be nice. Like I sometimes look at guys when I'm out and about and wonder if they weren't born and raised wearing these drab, lame, void of color palette clothes, what would they choose for themselves? You know?
0: Yeah, I think if it was more, part of the culture they would definitely be more into it and I think it reflects the deprivation like you said of personal expression in the west also like we're so focused on like work and money and in India I think it's more just a richness and a joy no matter what um, class you are or how much money you have I think there's still that self-respect again and that like joy for life and the mystic, the mysticality of life is like still alive in people. And it's so vibrant there that it reflects in the people that That's right. their life is so rich. Like, it's the same thing as like how they spend so much time creating beautiful food. And here yeah. like, like little microwaved, whatever, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, the flavor palette. And, and in India, anybody, even the poorest of the poor, And I I do think the poverty crisis is deplorable and the disparity between what the wealthiest people and the poorest people have, there's no excuse for that. The corruption in the Indian politics and the way way people are completely discriminated against based on their class. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a perfect system, but what I do find is that the people themselves outside of the political spectrum and outside of the labels we put on them, everyone strives to be expressive in any way they possibly can. So like you said, with the spices and the foods, even if they have very, very little, the little they have, they'll invest it wisely into making the most of it. Whereas here, like you said, people go for the convenience stuff, the microwavable stuff, the, the pre-made ready-made grab it at the gas station kind of stuff. Yeah. And there's no energy in it. You don't even know who prepared it for you. Yeah, um, And like you said, being a compassionate person, like I'm a very strict vegan. And so I can't imagine how mindlessly people will say in one sentence, oh, I love animals. And then they'll take a bite of a murdered piglet or a right. dead cow, or or they'll drink, I don't like the word milk. I think it should be called um, lactation of a cow. <laughs> like, like, let's yeah. be clear about what it really is. Right, more accurate. The liquid meant to nourish a baby of a different species and act like that's, that's normal. Whereas in India, even though, so much of the society is also non-veg. And so many people don't really give a shit about these things anymore. At least there's a cultural history of care for M, And I, I think that in the West, we're really getting there. Like veganism is on the rise every year. Mm-hmm. We're currently in the month of Veganuary. Like back in 1999, when I went vegan, I never would have imagined that one day it's going to be a household word. Like everyone will know what vegan means. Mm -hmm. Um, Waitresses in restaurants and flight attendants on planes and people at the grocery store. So I think we are advancing in a lot of ways. Um, And I also kind of hope that the way we're advancing when it comes to our food decisions is also going to spill over into other aspects of life with a little bit more freedom of expression when it comes to clothing and jewelry and less judgment I think when it comes to wearing makeup.
0: Yeah, I I, I see that as well like people, uh, especially even with this pandemic, mm-hmm. people are becoming more able to work from home and they're getting a little bit more expressive or people are finally able to switch from their regular job to their YouTube career or whatever and I. I saw this one guy, he's like, I dyed my hair blue because I'm officially not working for the man anymore. (laughs) And I think that the world is gearing towards people working less and also people working from home more. And that's opening the door for more self-expression and all of that. I know when I started working just from home this time last year, I thought to myself like, oh, I can totally do whatever I want now. I can get more you know, piercings—not that—that's what I want now. But I could cover myself in tattoos if I wanted, because yeah. I'm free to be myself
1: now <laughs>
0: and without exactly. the judgment of others.
1: Yes, and that freedom to be yourself—it's—it's so important when it comes to um, enjoying life. Mm-hmm. I think if if you feel like you're constantly altering yourself in order for other people to accept you or hire you or pay you or purchase things from you or whatever it might be, you'll never, ever, ever, ever be happy. Because the the moment your happiness depends on somebody else's perception of you. Mm -hmm. It's just like you've written yourself off completely. And like you said, when you get to work from home or even better be self-employed, when you don't have the job insecurity of thinking, you know, if I come in with another nose ring, will I be fired or will I be asked to remove it? Um, yeah, like you said, then you have that freedom to dress up however you want. Mm-hmm. And I, I also want to mention, like, most days I don't wear any makeup at all. Right. <laughs> um the majority of my of my outings these days just involve carrying orders from my Etsy shop to the post office, and I don't dress up for that. I, I do definitely wear jeans and a windbreaker and winter boots like necessity, um, but I, I love the luxury of being able to choose, and I think that's what it comes down to. And there are little pieces of jewelry that I do wear every single day, even if I don't leave my apartment. And those are the pieces I would call talismans as opposed to ornaments. And I think like the the talisman, it's the piece of jewelry that the ancient Rishis would recommend people wear inside their clothes where Mm -hmm. others don't see it. Um, Those would be the pieces that are worn for the spiritual value of the object, not necessarily for the way it looks. Um, like one of the coolest gemstones available is called Moldavite. I'm sure you've heard of it.
0: I know you love Moldavite. It was a little yeah. too much for me when I wore some. And I think that has to do probably with my um, my doshas and my astrology actually. It was too uplifting for me actually.
1: Interesting. But, but I know you love it because you always bring it up. So yeah, I totally do. It's 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 funny that I'm not wearing any today to talk about it, but um, it's 100. If I were to be told you can only wear one spiritual stone for the rest of your life, I would choose moldavite, and I I laughed so hard when I first saw moldavite because it looks like mold. <laughs> And that's not what it's named after. It's named after the Moldau River in Czech Republic where it's discovered. Um, But it's this glassy bottle green colored gem that is a combined energy of earth and outer space. Like it's formed on impact when a meteorite struck and like there are tektites all over the world, which are kind of black glassy stones made from a meteorite impact, but whatever chemical makeup happened to be there in the ground near the Moldau River, turned that tectite green. And it just has the strongest energy of any stone. Um, I know a lot of people are wickedly skeptical about crystal energy. And I think Moldavite is the perfect stone to introduce a skeptic to the reality of this energy because when you hold a piece in your hand, your palm heats up, you feel tingles, Um, a lot of people get a sensation like um, pins and needles rising up towards their elbow if they hold it in the palm of their hand. And a lot of people, and I've never experienced this myself, but I bet you have, based on your description here, um, get something that they call moldavite drunk, which is that when they try wearing it, they feel lightheaded, they get a little bit dizzy if they stand they feel like they might fall over. Um, and that's that's definitely because the energy is so elevating, it pulls you kind of out of your roots into your higher chakras mm-hmm. and makes you feel less connected to this world and more you know, out in space. Yeah, but yeah. that's exactly what happened to me. My friend worked at a crystal shop and I saw her before
0: I was going on a long flight She gave me a Moldavite necklace and I put it on the day before the flight. And I didn't really think much of it. I was packing and getting ready, took the flight. And then when I landed, I just felt completely like out of sorts. Like I was still literally up in the air after I was actually back on the ground. And that went on for a day or so. And I just thought, what is going on with me? It wasn't jet lag. I've flown a lot. I could tell it was something else. And I took that necklace off because I got, I don't know, the message or the idea that it could be the stone. And it was like within minutes, I felt like I was like, wow, (laughs) down again. So yeah, it was definitely, it definitely affected me. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there are stones that balance it out. Like if you wear it with a piece of garnet, which is a root chakra gem, it's it's less likely to make you feel completely loopy and up in the clouds um, or wearing it with a stone like black obsidian, which is a really shamanic stone that's used for introspection and connecting with ancestors and doing shadow work. That also kind of limits the the Moldavite drunk feeling. Um And then for people like me who want to be as far up there as possible all the time, combine it with stones like Herkimer quartz diamonds. And that just amplifies the energy of the Moldavite and kind of scatters it in an omnidirectional way. And you really feel flooded with this celestial divine sort of a, I don't even know the word for it. Love is the wrong word for it because we usually think of love as being like for another person or for your pets or for a thing, a tangible object, but it floods you with this love energy that is kind of sourceless and yet from everywhere at the same time. It's really, really enjoyable. And for me, like the talismans I wear on a daily basis are, um, I never leave my place without my blue topaz ring. And it's a piece. I wear it on my left hand ring finger because I consider myself married to myself. And you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of people think if somebody is single, it's because they haven't manifested the right relationship yet or found the right partner. And I'm sorry, I'm just gonna call bullshit on that. I think the stupidest thing uh, in the New Age community today is this. Um, fairy tale like narrative about twin flames and soulmates. And I I personally feel that when somebody is able to be by themselves and enjoy their own company and not get bored and keep themselves entertained without a struggle or without trying to, um, it's insulting when others say, well, that person just hasn't found the one yet. Mm -hmm. And I kind of put a ring on it because I found myself and I am the one. And that's another thing that the Vedic, it's ironic because the Hindu culture and the Indian culture in general is so marriage centric, but at the same time, there's a historical spiritual recognition for a life beyond seeking that other person to complete you. And that's what sannyas is like when people decide that they would rather seek enlightenment than seek a happy home life or, you know, a wealthy family life. They take up the orange robe and dedicate themselves to their chosen deity. And of course, like, as you know, Kelsey, and as probably a lot of people seeing this know, I did choose that life at one point. Unfortunately, uh, the spiritual so-called master of the cult that I was in was not a genuine enlightened guru. Um, But a lot of those sannyas principles are still a deep part of me. Um, For example, the the concept of ardhanarishwara, or of feeling like the balance between masculine and feminine energy within one form. Um, And the concept of enlightenment as the highest school of life as opposed to getting wealthy or having babies or, you know, fitting into the, the whole society says you are the peg four. Um, and I, I think jewelry in a lot of ways can symbolize that too. And, you know, stones like sunstone and moonstone for the longest time, I used to wear a sunstone and a moonstone on this finger and, um, Before I ever found that cult, Um, just because sun is a masculine celestial object, moon is more of a feminine celestial object, and wearing a sunstone and a moonstone together, represented in a talismanic way, uh, the combination of those two energies and feeling like, okay, I'm married to the cosmos, not to a man, and... You know, the reason I bring this up, I'm not gonna name any names, but like a, a person that both of us knew from India had posted something recently about, you know, joining a workshop in order to raise your vibration so that you'll attract the one partner that's best for you. I I shouldn't poo-poo that for the people who yearn for a romantic partner. Um But the reason I bring this up in a jewelry related podcast is that there are people out there who would never buy jewelry for themselves. They think it only counts if it's a gift from their boyfriend or from their husband. And I remember when I was a little girl, um, my mom is a single mom. She's been a single mom my whole life. Um, I asked her once, like, why doesn't she have a big diamond ring like all my friends' moms have? And she said, well, that's something that a boyfriend gives to a girlfriend when he wants her to become his wife. And single ladies don't get diamond rings. And I felt so sorry for her, not because she was single and didn't have a man, but because she didn't have a diamond. And it it's so funny. It shows where my priorities were. <laughs> back then. But there, there are so many people like I've seen um, in movies and in TV shows, women Uh, gazing at a beautiful piece in a showcase in a jewelry room saying, oh, if only I had a man to buy me this. And I just have this, I guess, modern, more feministic approach to jewelry. Like, if you love it, you buy it for yourself. Yeah. And I mentioned this to my mom, like, just before Christmas, we were talking She asked me if my sales go up in November, like do a lot of men come buy jewelry for their girlfriends? And I I laughed and said, actually, it's the opposite. Like November, December, my sales kind of go down. And then January, February, they pick back up again. Hmm. And it's, I think it's because it's in January and February that the people who didn't get what they wanted for Christmas or for Hanukkah, they go in and they buy what they actually wanted for themselves. And yeah, I, I think it's just so much more empowering. When you wear a piece of jewelry you chose for yourself, it's it's a piece that honors your individuality and your love of like, getting back to what you said earlier, that, that the way we adorn ourselves with piercings, with clothing, clothing, with jewelry, it's the way we choose to respect existence. And yeah, when I brought this up to my mom more recently, She told me about a friend of hers who's divorced. And I think it was this lady on her 60th birthday, she bought like the biggest flashiest, like color cut clarity, perfect diamond she could find as a gift to herself to symbolize that she's happy on her own. And wears it on her her wedding finger the way I do with my big blue topaz. And I thought that was just so cool. Yeah that yeah, more people are embracing this idea that when you love yourself, you get to treat yourself to these powerful, beautiful, luxurious, sometimes expensive pieces. And you don't need to wait for somebody else to get them for you. Yeah,
0: that's, I can't resist sharing this idea, because I feel like I forgot about it for a while. And you're like, you're coming so close. You're like, dancing around in the same spot in the universe where this idea lives (laughs) that I was on the dance floor one night like you know I was at a rave and we were my friends and I were dancing and I have a different podcast episode about how magical I think the dance floor is so listen to that if you're interested but one day or one night we were dancing and I had this huge download about (laughs) how we need to like How I'm talking about women, but anyone, however you identify, you could take this idea. I thought about how I wanted to open a little ring shop of diamond rings or walk around with a box of diamond rings to sell to women or people that wanted to put themselves first and be married to themselves. Yes. And like, buy yourself that amazing ring because you need to be. You know, you can date, you can do whatever you want, but like you belong to yourself and no one yeah. else can own you. Yeah. And that we should all wear a ring. And I used to say, like, buy yourself one ring, buy yourself two rings, like cover yeah. your whole hand in rings because yeah. you belong to yourself and you know, you you are your own perfect partner, basically. So it's That's- so interesting <laughs> that you're saying like such a similar thing because Clearly that idea is out there. And somebody should definitely open a
1: like what marry yourself ring store. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I think that like, that's exactly why I went with this instead of a diamond. My favorite, favorite color is this. I can show it like, look what she got me. Look yeah. what I got me. <laughs> it's my favorite color of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's also the birthstone for the month of December Um, So it's personally significant. And when I was a little kid, like whenever I would flip through, I'm of that age now. I wouldn't call myself a young woman anymore. (laughs) Um, But when I was a kid, the Sears catalog wish book was the thing to flip through in November to pick out what you want to get in December. And especially because my birthday is so close to Christmas, it was definitely like the, the month of giving and getting things. And I would always go past the toy section straight to the jewelry section. Um, and I wanted more than anything else, a blue topaz, just because I love the color of that stone so much. So when I decided to get myself you know, a ring as a symbol of self-sovereignty, um, and I love how you worded it, putting yourself first. And that doesn't mean being selfish and not caring about other people. I still donate to charity. I still load up free gifts when people buy stuff from my shop because I like to give to others too. (laughs) But we don't need to limit our generosity to other people. We can also be generous with ourselves. And so when somebody has a favorite stone, getting a piece of that stone as a talisman for themselves is one of the most empowering things they can do. And yeah, and not worrying about, is this extravagant? Um, I mean, obviously, you have to stay on budget and make sure you've got your rent or your mortgage payment or whatever else. But there used to be kind of a shame put on people. Like, I remember my mom telling me this again, when I was a kid, when I asked her for a ring for Christmas, or for a blue topaz ring, or um some people might remember seeing these in old catalogs of jewelry what they would call the mother's ring where there's like a stone for the wife a stone for the husband and then the birthstone of each kid i used to ask for one of those and i said i want a blue topaz and i want a purple amethyst and i want an aquamarine and i want a sapphire like i would just name my favorite stones and every time my mom laughed and said people will think that's ridiculous for a kid to wear a mother's ring and the stones (laughs) were not your relatives like you can't wear an opal you weren't born in October and that was the mentality back then um so I think now again it's pretty cool you don't have to be the matriarch of a large family to wear a mother's ring if you want to wear like you said load up a ring on each finger of your hand if you want to load yourself up with pretty colors why not um I love the trend of chakra jewelry. Like I've I've put a little stack of show and tell pieces I wanted to bring in. Um, I can see the look on my cat's face, and I'm very scared that it's going to get ripped out of my hand with her claws. You but mean it's not a cat toy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like ooh, she's dangling it above my head. It must mean it's for me. Um but I made this piece. It's actually like it goes on as a necklace like this. And That's then dang. Thank you. And it's an alignment of all the chakras. Um, But for each one, I put like a big, huge raw stone um, or a big, huge cut stone. And also like the tiny gem so that there's like a, a double energy because I'm not sure if that if the camera's picking that up well enough. Yeah, I can definitely see it. So for people who can't see, she's got
0: a stone for each chakra and they're they're all really beautiful and different and is that a a blue-laced agate for the
1: is that Vishudi? yeah Yeah, that's Vishudi. I I should just instead of making you do my job and introduce all the stones it's amethyst uh, a big tumbled amethyst that has some really cool um they call it phantoms when there's an inclusion inside a crystal that has a shape to it Um, They call it a phantom quartz. It's the perfect kind of stone for scrying where you're gazing at the surface and seeing reflections inside and kind of opening your intuition through that. Um, Then for the Agnya chakra, for the third eye, I have a huge piece of kyanite with a little iolite faceted gem beneath it. Um, Then yeah, blue lace sagate and Larimar for the throat chakra. Oh. Sorry, my cat is literally (laughs) pulling on my computer cord now. Um, People sometimes tell me I should just put them in a room and close the door when I film, but I just, this is their home. Um, So I, I just can't justify doing that. Anyway, green fluorite and peridot for the heart, honey calcite and citrine for the solar plexus, petrified wood and amber for the sacral chakra, and then a black tektite and garnet for the root. Mm. Um, And the reason I wanted to share that is that a lot of times people tell me that they wish they were born in a different month because they prefer a different birthstone to their birthstone. Um, Like my mom is is an example of this. My poor mom, I don't mean to rag on her and say she gave me bad jewelry feelings because that's not at all the case. But she always told me she wished that she was born in February because her favorite color is purple. And then she would get amethyst as a birthstone. What I love about the the trend towards yoga-centric jewelry and spiritual jewelry is that more and more people are embracing chakra gems, where you literally get to wear every color of the rainbow all at once and kind of choose the, the gems that best represent those chakras for you. Yeah. And so I think that's another fun way for, for people like me who, let's face it, I choose never to become a mother. And so I don't need to wish for one of those mother's pride rings when I can just get some chakra jewels and wear every color in that way instead.
0: Yeah. And when I see that piece, it's so cool. I actually could see someone using that. I mean, of course, you could wear it anytime you wanted, but... It's- I could really see someone using that as like a meditation talisman that yeah. they use when they meditate yeah. to really like amplify what they're doing. So on that topic, I feel like for a period there, I could be wrong, but I thought I heard you saying that, you know, you weren't really sure if crystals really had energy or not, or maybe you were questioning something around there, but it sounds like now you are certain and I've always felt that they could really affect us especially you can notice it more if you are more attuned to like subtle energy Mm -hmm. and if you're more of an intuitive person you can definitely pick up on it so what do you think about like crystal energy as a real thing and also what do you think about using crystals to like attract things that you want because I think even how you were talking about Representing the sun and moon on your fingers, people can use stuff like that as almost like a sigil or yeah. what I would say, like feng shui. I'm sure there's another word to attract things that they want symbolically, almost like a little altar on their fingers or yeah. their body. But also, then the crystals themselves do have an energy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wow, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's both that around the time when I had said it could be a placebo effect, my personal belief was still 100% that they have energy. Um, and I think the the same month that I made that video, it was more of an open question to my viewers to hear different opinions. Um, that was right around the time I was deprogramming myself from all the cult indoctrination yeah. and started to question everything. So I was reading books about psychology and critical thinking and why never to surrender yourself to another person's belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, within a lot of that material, there was a lot of skepticism towards anything related to intuition. And there is still an academic intuition phobia. Um, People who consider themselves educated and intellectual and scientific think anything to do with innate inner wisdom that doesn't come from another source or that doesn't come from um, a textbook or a so-called expert or a group consensus of other people believing it, then it must be garbage. It must be useless. So... Now I'm, I'm, I've kind of swung back to myself once again, after realizing which indoctrinating mindsets I wanted to drop and which personal experiences I don't need to devalue or to undermine just because other people may not believe them. Um, so yeah, getting back to your actual question, I 100% believe crystals have energy each one has a different, unique energy. And when we wear different stones or hold them as meditation or use them as meditation pieces, it's the particular vibration of those gems that will start to permeate our spiritual psyche and and either push us in the direction we're stri- striving to go, or sometimes they can also kind of shake up things that need to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, stones like moldavite a lot of people warned me before I started wearing it and by a lot of people I mean uh the people who worked at the spiritual bookstore where I bought a book called starborn stone of transformation about moldavite uh and people in the crystal shops and they said like okay how how do you feel about your relationship I was living with um The guy that I had dated since high school at that time, we were together for, I think, seven years and lived together for five years. Um, Somebody asked me, so how do you feel about your boyfriend? (laughs) And I said, you know, I love him. And she said, well, how would you feel about breaking up with him next week and moving into a place by yourself? and I said how could I do that I can't afford a place of my own and I like I wouldn't have the guts to dump him like to be honest I kind of was yearning for my personal space at that point point." and she said well just to warn you if you buy moldavite and that relationship is not serving your highest good you can expect that you will break up with him and get a new apartment how do you like your job well like I was a floor manager at DKNY, and I freaking hated my job. <laughs> hated it with a white-hot passion, um, because the store sold leather. So I would literally mm-hmm. avoid customers on the sales floor because I could not, in good um, conscience, be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So my sales were shit. Thus, my commission was shit, and I hated the store. I hated the the rivalry and competition to get commission and so the girl at the crystal store said well once you start wearing moldavite you're probably going to get fired but it'll be for the better (laughs) and I'm thinking so I'm gonna lose my boyfriend and my apartment and my job and this this is a good thing um and it was it was the best thing you know? Yeah. Uh, so after I started wearing Moldavite, I'll never forget the the very first day that I ever wore a piece. I was walking to the bus stop in Vancouver and just waiting for the bus to pull up. I had all intention of riding that bus home, um, but I kind of looked up towards the sky and noticed the clouds kind of start to light up in one spot And then they kind of started shifting and moving. And suddenly the moon was revealed and the clouds framing the moon just happened to form the perfect shape of a face, like nose, lips, eyes. Um, There were like wisps framing that face and the moon was dead center where the third eye would be (laughs) in that face. And I actually asked the other people at that bus stop, like. Uh, Hey, look, look at the sky. Like, are you all seeing that? Because I'd heard so much about Moldavite. I wasn't sure if this was a vision or like a hallucinatory vision or if it was real. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, one of the other people standing there said like, wow, there's a face and the moon is the third eye. And I said, okay, good. Like, this is real. Um, I felt such a rush of energy from seeing such a beautiful thing that I decided to walk home, like use this energy. Don't just take the bus. And on my way home, like when I reached about Main Street in Vancouver, I noticed a new secondhand bookstore that had never been there before called Wet Wizard Used Books, walked in, picked the first book randomly that I saw off the shelf, opened it to a random page. And it was a picture of clouds forming a face in the sky with the moon in the place of the third eye. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it just happened to be that book was the accompanying book that goes with the Osho Zen Tarot deck, mm-hmm. and the page I opened to was the page for a card called Silence, and that's the symbology they use to represent silence: gazing at the sky um, with the third eye open, looking for signs and symbols, and listening. And the active form of silence is to listen. Instead of to just sit there and try to stop thinking, if you sit there and just listen to all the sounds we normally think of as white noise, that's when we start to hear that voice of intuition. And of course, like within a couple of weeks of that, I broke up with my boyfriend and and started renting a room from a female friend of mine who had also recently dumped her boyfriend. And she just happened to have a spare bedroom in her condo. The price was cheaper than what I'd been paying before. Um, DKNY fired me and <laughs> they, they had their reasons. Like, like I said, I have, I actively avoided work because I hated it so much. So I don't begrudge them for letting me go. I do begrudge them for existing um, <laughs> because I don't think there should be animal exploitation for fashion mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the same day DK and Life fired me, I got a phone call from the manager of a store called Dragon Space, which was my all-time favorite store in Vancouver that sells astrology manuals and gemstone jewelry and like fairy ornaments and dragon themed things. It's a very new agey mystical witchy sort of a store. And I had applied there on a whim like a year earlier wow. and They said they weren't hiring. They very rarely hired because nobody who worked there ever wanted to leave. Um, But just like that, the the day I was fired from DKNY, I got the phone call that I was hired at Dragon Space. And that taught me a major lesson about manifestation, which is that we have to let go of the fear of change. It's not that I liked the apartment i was in or the guy that i was with or the job that i was working it's like clung to them because i believed i needed that stability mm-hmm. you know i couldn't imagine how would i pay rent if i wasn't sharing it with this dude that i've been sharing it with for 5 years you know where would i live it took me so long to find this apartment it's not like apartments especially in vancouver are just available all the time at a reasonable price Or if I lose this job, well, I applied to 10 different places when I applied to this one? How am I supposed to find a replacement? And I think wearing the moldavite, which kind of triggered or catalyzed that transformation, it really accelerates and speeds up the shifts you need to make. You don't have time to stop and think like, oh no, what am I gonna do now? Because before you can think those words, the solution presents itself. And that's something that I feel really lucky about in life is that I've made a lot of terrible decisions and I've gone to a lot of bad places and I've chosen a lot of the wrong people to share my life with. It's not that everything has been perfect, but it's been that whenever I realize things are really, really bad and that I need to change them, as soon as that's thought, the the change happens and the better solution presents itself. And so I think what, what people need to understand about crystal healing or working with talismans or carrying a piece as a symbol of what you want to achieve, when, when you decide that it's time to make a change, if you still fear that change and avoid it, that's doing yourself the biggest disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've heard from a lot of people who say that they wish they could make a full-time living for themselves, like whatever craft they might do. They would love to be able to just do that professionally on Etsy or people who are readers. They wish they could just give readings full-time and make a living at that. I think the reason one person might succeed and another person might not succeed is that when some people first think about doing that they get so overwhelmed and fearful at the prospect of potential failure that they just don't do it. I personally believe if you throw yourself into something and just do it you will be successful because okay so you might put up a shop and in the first week you don't get any sales if you think well I guess I'm not cut out for this the algorithms aren't in my favor I'm not lucky And so you fall back onto your safety job. Of course, you're never going to be self-employed because you're not really putting as much effort and energy into this new thing as you did into the old thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or people who want to get out of a bad relationship. If they're still afraid of being alone or afraid of what they'll do if they don't have that person, I mean, I didn't have to break up with my boyfriend, but when... Synchronistically, I was kind of hoping for an excuse. Like, Mm -hmm. I needed a reason. I couldn't just say, you know what, this isn't working for me because I had tried that in the past. And he always argued his way into staying together, you know? So I needed a good, solid, like, he can't argue his way out of this one reason. And so one night he went out and he left his Facebook open on the computer we both shared. And it was open to messages, I swear to Shiva, I didn't go snooping through his inbox, it was open and in front of me. And I saw messages from a bunch of girls he was secretly seeing on the side. And so I knew, this is my ironclad excuse, I just call him up and say, hey, you forgot to log out of Facebook, and it was open to your messages. So I saw this and this and this, and it's over. And it was. And What's really interesting is that the month after we broke up before we got our separate apartments, we got along better than we had gotten along in the five years leading up to that because suddenly we didn't have to pretend that we were in love with each other anymore. We could be just really cool roommates. It was a very amicable split in the end. But I think people who are afraid of change will really struggle with crystal healing and crystal work because you know somebody who says I want to be more grounded and so they get a stone like tiger's eye or ruby or garnet and then they start carrying it and feeling bored and sluggish or annoyed with things it's because part of that shift down into your root chakra down into your grounding and your practicality is getting practical um there's a stone called Scapolite that I discovered recently that I really love. I wear it when I do my taxes and when I fill out paperwork and <laughs> when I open a new website. Like recently, I opened a second Etsy shop, and it's a struggle to open a new one. Like, I've had my old one for so long that I take it for granted. But when I realized how much stuff I had to do, like upload a copy of my passport and find my tax number and find this and find that and link it all together. And it had to be with all new email addresses. You can't have two shops with the same address. That's the kind of paperwork that I get so overwhelmed that I give up on doing things. So there's a stone called scapolite that's grounding especially in the aspect of ourselves that gets bored with mundane tasks and wants to give up. It's a procrastinator's dream stone. But the catch is it only works if you want to break your procrastination habit, if you want to get shit done, if you want to do all the paperwork. It's not like you put on the stone and now magically paperwork is as entertaining to you as watching like the latest binge watching show on Netflix no like it's always going to be work to achieve success but the attitude you have towards that work it's it's the matter of delayed gra- delayed gratification like it will be worth it if i trudge through this because the end goal is going to be that um so again like when it comes to jewelry i 100 know that the stones do have energy however um you have to be open to that energy working in your life or else they're just going to be beautiful objects that you resent for not magically bestowing you with the quality you wish you had right um yeah i love
0: that because i feel like that's kind of how it works with any type of intention setting also mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. Sometimes I think about that, like, is it enough to just write down your intention or do you have to like be constantly um, like aligning yourself to that and remembering it? And I think that's why a lot of people do use affirmations or they do use feng shui, something that they're going to see often and it's going to remind them of yeah. what they're actually trying to create
1: in their lives.
0: Yeah. Very interesting.
1: And I think like it. it's... Depending on the thing that you're looking to manifest, how much work you have to put into it, or whether you just need to put it out there that you want it and then let it go. What I've kind of come to understand is that the things within your power to change, you have to change them. The things that are impossible for you to just do yourself, you need to just put it out there into existence and wait for it to come to you. Um there, there's an interesting thing that happened to me soon after I discovered Hindu spirituality. Um, I mean, when I was 13, I had a vision of Kali, and I still feel that that was my initiation in this lifetime into the path I'm meant to walk, which is that divine feminine power, that, that nurturing and also the ferociousness to what needs to be changed. That was the same age I went vegan, but I saw Kali for the first time in a vision. Um, and so I was all about the destruction of animal agriculture and animal testing and animal cruelty in all its forms. Um, but I've, I kind of discovered the greater Sanatana Dharma when I was in my early twenties living in Vancouver um, because my art history textbook at the Emily Carr University of Art happened to have a whole section about Hindu art, like temple architecture, um, deities. You had mentioned even like dressing deities, like their ornamentation. That's like a whole other podcast, I think. (laughs) There's so much into it. From how you tie the fabrics to who wears the the different pieces and where. But in that textbook, I saw a beautiful picture of Kali. And... That was the first time it really struck me that that beautiful vision I had had as a kid wasn't uniquely mine. Like Kali didn't belong to me as my vision. Kali is this universal mother of of cosmic darkness who exists everywhere all the time for everyone. I just tapped into something in that meditation. And it was a major shift for me going from feeling possessive about her to feeling so uniquely blessed that I got to see her and and feeling more I have to word this properly so that nobody interprets it as a dark black magic thing but being being hers not her being mine Mm -hmm. and around that time that I was discovering you know what Hinduism is as a whole I just put it out there into existence. I actually said this out loud one night, getting ready for bed. Um, like goddess, if you're still with me, I want a sign. Like, please sometime tomorrow, give me a flower. That'll be my sign. And it's not like I ever got flowers from anybody ever. So I thought that was a really good random sign. Um, If I had asked for a crystal, it would have been too obvious because everybody I knew knew that I loved crystals. Somebody might give me one. I had specifically told my then boyfriend, never buy me flowers because I hate the idea that they get cut and that it has to kill the plant in order to be given. So I knew like, okay, I'm asking for something obscure that wouldn't normally happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next day on my way to work, as I got off the bus, was about to cross the street, a homeless man walked up to me and gave me a bouquet of 12 yellow roses. <laughs> and I, like, I, I looked at him and said, are you selling these? And he said, no, I'm giving them to you. And I said, why? And he said, because I'm, I just feel like I have to. <laughs> and so I thanked him and, and he looked kind of as puzzled as I felt. Like he looked like he was a little confused and I was like blown away because Within an hour of waking up the day after I asked for that, going to bed, it happened. And so I used to tell clients back when I gave tarot card readings, if they want proof that there's a divine loving energy that's on their side, that's looking out for them, think of something and ask for it and they'll get it. And people would always be blown away. Like I I would have people coming in the next time they were on Granville Island or um, phoning me to say like, Hey, guess what? This is the thing I asked for. And guess how I got it. And it would always happen. So I think like when we're asking for a sign from the universe, we do not have to actively remind ourselves that we've asked for it, work towards it. There's nothing we can do. It's out of our hands. Whereas if, if, what you want is a new place to live, yeah, you got to go out there and start searching for apartments, you know? Um, I think the reason my job at Dragon Space synchronistically fell into my lap the same day I got fired from DKNY, it's because I had given them a resume at some point in time earlier. and I think that's the other thing with manifestation. You don't always get what you want the moment you realize you want it. Yeah. You get what you want at the time when you're ready to handle it.
0: This is the end of part one. You made it pretty far, but the story keeps going. So make sure to check for part two which is going to be right near part one and continue listening to Sarah and I go deeper on this topic.